0: And Q music.
1: Welcome back to another episode of A-Sides. This is episode 22. Andy here again with a special guest. And I thought last time uh, we had a chat about record collections with Tony Higby. So this time, I thought it might be appropriate to kind of maybe follow up uh, with a guest who runs his own record label, and we could dive into maybe some uh, stuff that he's got in his collection. But he runs uh, Bellyache Records. His name is Scotty Hagen. Uh, welcome to the show.
2: Great to be here. Thank you.
1: Yeah. Uh, so, like, I guess before though, we dive into Bellyache Records, there's something I noticed this morning, like uh, on my calendar. It was supposed to be record store day today. Um, oh and yeah! Do you think that that is still going to uh, happen in June? Like, I think they rescheduled it to the twentieth.
2: You know i I have a. I think it's going to happen, but I think it's not going to happen the way we would expect it to. After being pushed back once, I think when we get to June and we're at this point where, hopefully, if we're you know getting back out there, you know you know, inching our way back out into the, you know, into public, you know, places like, you know, like stores. I think uh, I think it, it's gonna be a little bit different. And there might be a little bit more online than the, and I think that the actual the amount of releases might end up getting cut back a little bit where some of the stuff might come out sooner than later. And you know, that's not really insider info or anything. That's just me thinking I can't see that all happening that quick unless they push it back again. Yeah
1: cuz didn't they even have something uh like last time Black Friday record store day they had some stuff where there was something that went on where they didn't have enough
2: and I think some of them got shorted right Yeah you know that's that's always been an ongoing thing where stores get shorted and I you know I've, I've been working in record stores for years the I, I've uh, you know aside from having the record label I've been I've been doing record stores for you know for a long time and even for most of the uh the duration of record store day, I think all but the first two I have worked in a store during that time and there's always things that for no rhyme or reason just don't show up but I know that last year was particularly bad because there is a a, a lot of uh, the three main, like major labels, the label distributors are all using the same fulfillment company. And apparently this company that they use their, their logistics are terrible and they couldn't get stuff out to the stores in time. They were shipping things where like, there's hilarious stories. I mean, horrible for the stores and for the fans, but these stories of like a pallet showing up to a, a record store with one box with a CD inside And then another pallet shows up with one box and ACD inside. Like no one knows like how this company is dropping the ball so badly, but that happened last year for black Friday. And a lot of the stores that I know of, um, in the area where I live were receiving boxes of like a week, two weeks after record store day and posting things online saying, Hey, this just showed up if anyone's still interested. And you know, it just, it's just crazy that, that, you know, that it can't, get it all out there at once
1: man that's crazy so
2: like cds were shipped yeah cds and records and and even like for a long time one of the distributors that uh that i dealt with at another record shop was uh was through wea the warner electra atlantic group and i know at some point i was hearing stuff from friends of mine that were that still work at the same store that I had worked at were telling me like, yeah, they're we, we placed an order and they, they shipped everything, you know, like one item per box. Like all of a sudden all these boxes showed up. I'm like what is in all these? And it's the same record in each box. Like instead of putting five copies of, you know, set a, a certain title, it's like, here's five boxes with, you know, each copy that you ordered. Like really just really bad logistics.
1: Ooh. Ooh, I work yeah. in like shipping with like sunglasses and I think heads would roll if we were like shipping out stuff like that because you think oh yeah. Like getting All the like, freight like, cost and stuff.
2: It's I, I I had heard some people thinking that was some type of conspiracy to kill physical media to get labels to stop doing physical media because the freight charges will kill them. It's like thinking if you're outsourcing and you have a contract with a company that's gonna, you know, do all your fulfillment and they're just Shipping out, you know, each item one at a time, you know, not a weekly basis, you know, a record store might do a replenishment order and order maybe, you know, 40, 50, 60 records. And then to have it show up in, you know, 30 different cartons. Yeah, that's, that, that's got to be completely outrageous. <laughs> and, and, and running and working in a label, you know, and having, you know, and, sh- and shipping things out. And I've shipped to distributors before. I couldn't imagine just like eking these things out to people. I'm trying to get like, keep those costs down, you know, as far as I can. So that way the margins, the profit margins aren't, you know, suffering.
1: Oh yeah. And with this, uh, getting pushed to June, don't, um, I don't really totally know all the, um, uh, insider details, but don't you have to like place your orders for record sort of like way in advance?
2: Yeah. Yeah. You have to, typically, we always would have to have our orders in. It was by the end of February, beginning of March, have it for mid April or late April. And I'm sure all this, you know, the shops probably had all their, their orders turned in, but you know, what's gonna actually show up is, you know, another story. And one thing I don't know, and I probably should check with the pressing plant I deal with, you know, I would think that those companies are, are probably considered non essential. So all the like in Michigan, all the non essential businesses are supposed to be shut down. I can't imagine the pressing plants still working. You know, unless you know they're doing it under the radar. So who's pressing all the records right now?
1: Oh, that's a good point. I didn't even think of on the timetable that you're saying they'd have to start putting in their orders now, but they're not even open.
2: Right. There's not yeah. even anyone pressing the. I, I would think there's not people pressing the records. I just heard that Guitar Center had, you know, have had they have a huge distribution center, I think in Kentucky, and they just shut down. You know, because they were deemed not essential. They got shut down because. They have 300 employees that were there fulfilling the online orders, and um, from you know assuming I read everything right, I'm thinking so now Guitar Center can't even you know ship any of their online orders because they had too many employees on hand. So you have a a pressing plant that probably you know you know employs far less you know than 300 employees, but I can't imagine that they would be in there doing you know sitting there you know pressing records. All day long, even though you know they're the pressing you know the presses are huge. so people are probably spread out pretty well, but you know just the idea of having that many people in a building. So that's something I really uh, I should look into and check in with with my pressing plant and see you know how they're handling all that because I don't know how much record survey stuff they press, but some of the bigger plants that deal with that, I know can't possibly be working right now. I know that some like in Michigan, all the non-essential businesses have been shut down since I think it's been the, since the 20. No, no, it was more like the 18th or 19th of March. And I saw like in Arizona, they finally shut down like salons, like, like a week, like two weeks ago. <laughs> it took, cause I heard there's not as many cases out there, but I was, I, I couldn't believe it. I was thinking they still had salons open. <laughs> it's crazy. You know, like, I can't imagine, like, you want someone hovering over you while they're doing your hair.
1: Yeah, because we've basically (laughs) been shut down here, like, in Illinois uh, for, like, a month now.
2: Yeah, yeah. I think since we're so close to each other, we've been on the same type of uh, timetable.
1: Yeah. Well, was there anything on your uh, record store day list that you actually wanted that... You
2: know, it's... It it, sounds selfish,
1: I guess, but...
2: (laughs) Yeah, well, you know, my, my list mirrored the same... I think I got last year was there was the, the Alice Cooper release for Live 82, which is a good show. I've had bootlegs of that re- that show for years and hoping that Rhino had get, maybe got th- their hands on the actual tapes to clean it up because it was a radio show from, a, from the UK or from, you know, it was from Live from Glasgow, Scotland. And that's a, it's a cool show. So I was, when I saw Rhino was going to put that out, I thought, great, you know, it'll probably sound really good. And you know there was that and i know there was another cheap trick live release that i was excited for and I was i was slightly disappointed in the one that came out uh, for black friday because it was that too was a radio show but they had to source like the first four or five songs from a, like an audience recording or something so it's a kind of a noticeable difference but they they you know whoever did like to read the mastering on it did a pretty good job and you know kind of make it feel like a well, a very fluid recording and uh yeah, I think I think those were the two main things I was after. Otherwise I can't think of anything else. I know there's an Ace Freely reissue I wanted.
1: Yeah, and the uh, uh I can't think of the name now, but it's oh, got, it Trouble uh, Walking Walking, yeah.
2: Yeah. I bought that album when it first came out, like originally, like in uh eighty nine. I love that album. I was so I was so stoked to see that that, that album was getting reissued, but
1: Yeah, and but then I, Hide Your Heart was on there too. I think his, Right,
2: right. I remember the I remember that version and the Kiss version being out at the same time. <laughs> I had to be the guy that said the Ace version's cooler. I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: Oh, yeah. I think speaking of Alice Cooper um, records, it was like we were talking on that Black Friday record store of day because there were two that came out: uh, yeah. the um, Dragon Town and then the Billion Dollar Babies one. And uh, yeah. Yeah, I think you were telling me because I asked you about that one, the uh, Dragon Town, it was a 45 uh,
2: speed, right? Yeah, yeah. Because originally, I have like some of the other pressings of that record that came out. Yeah, they did it, they split up onto two LPs, right? Yeah. Am I thinking? Yeah. And typically, you know, if you uh, if you recut it at 45 RPM, it's going to sound a lot better. And this version did sound really good. I was really happy with how it sounded, but I just couldn't get over like you know, just felt like the artwork looked. The scan of it just didn't look good. And I, you know, if I would think that, you know, that album being created, you know, in the digital age, that there would have been decent, you know, good enough files. Even though the artwork was created for a CD, I remember having promo posters for that record, and the posters looking great. So if they could take the same artwork and blow it up into a poster with no, you know, flaws, why couldn't they just do it to an LP? You know, the, the files have to be somewhere unless it's just laziness on the label's behalf or not, you know, doing the extra legwork or or maybe someone, threw, you know, maybe someone threw the files away, you know, hmm. no longer available on their, you know, on their 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 their, uh, their PC from 19 uh, or from 2001. Yeah, nobody's got like a floppy disk. Uh, <laughs> right. They, 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 they back it up and burn it to a CD, to a CDR. <laughs>
1: I think that is odd, though, because how you said that they did it that way and spread it across like two um, LPs uh, to kind of. So they were smart about that. But then the artwork was um, almost seemed like half assed
0: Yeah. Something. Yeah.
2: They, they totally, uh, <laughs> for lack of better terms, they shit the bed on that.
1: One. Yeah. <laughs>
2: but now the Alice Cooper Billion Dollar Babies live record, on the other hand, it's magnificent. Yeah. Like I felt like they could have come up with some better artwork for the cover because they had some cool imagery for like for the tour. Like there was a really cool tour magazine if you ever get a, if you ever find one and it's like, it, it was kind of like a tour book, but it was more of a magazine. So it was, there's was a lot of content than a tour book would have. And I felt like that, you know, Brown could have done a better job with the album cover. I did like the foiled look to it. I thought that was great, but the record itself, like the recording is so good, and it lends itself to vinyl so beautifully. I was super happy with that. Because I remember they had put that out on CD I think in 1999 or 2000. I'm pretty sure it was ninety nine. Rhino had a bonus disc in an anniversary edition of the Billion Dollar Baby CD. And that thing sounded so good. And I initially thought it was just the soundtrack to the uh, Good to See You Again Alice Cooper uh, concert film that they had put out from that tour. And... Having years of bad VHS copies, I just assumed the audio was gonna be was gonna be garbage. And the audio from this live show was so excellent. I just wish they would have actually did that as a two LP set, so that way "Under My Wheels" and "Schools Out" could have ended up on the uh, on the actual like the album as opposed to on a separate 7 yeah. Because there's a so the version of "Schools Out" that's on I think the 45 is edited because the. The concert version is much longer. It's about ten minutes long.
1: Because yeah, cause they I noticed they did solo. cut something out of there.
2: Yeah, yeah, you can kind of notice where that edit is at. But if they would have, you know, if they, if they would spread this out over two LPs, I th- you know, I think that would have been solid. But at least you still get all the songs because those versions of like that band, like, was so raw live, but they were they were good, and that live record is just hearing like these songs that you realize like how polished the albums actually are when you hear the band live and that's not to say they're bad or anything but just it's a little more it's got a little more dirt a little more grit you know
1: yeah and i noticed that's something too uh that i guess i'd watched that concert video like a while ago but uh maybe i forgot but by the time i listened to uh that album um it said they had like an extra guitar player and like a keyboard player so it it yeah. did kind of make the band sound better too, like filling out that uh, sound.
2: Well, the word always was that. Well, Glenn Buxton, by that point in time, still um, was. You know, he was drinking a lot, and they always said that there was a lot of uh, a lot of those shows he wasn't plugged in, mm. and he but he and he didn't know it. Mick Mashper was the uh, additional guitar player, and he was the guy that was playing a lot of uh, was playing a lot of the lead during those those songs. On that tour and he's a he was a different type of player so his leads sounded were definitely different than glenn's and uh bob dolan was a keyboard player so michael bruce used to play a lot of the keyboard parts in like on the first few like real alice cooper tours of you know once they became the everything like post love it you know love it to death and killer and schools out michael bruce used to do all the keys but then they brought out bob Dolan so that way Michael could play guitar and still, you know, sing the songs and, you know, but yeah, they, they they filled out the band a little bit more for that particular tour.
1: Uh I guess I, uh, when I was thinking about this and making notes, I wasn't going to go too far into Alice Cooper rabbit hole, but now I almost kind of want to because. Uh...
2: <laughs> oh, you know, we, we can easily do a <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like not even. I, I'll say this right now. This could easily not just be a one hour. Discussion about Alice Cooper. We could turn this into a full separate podcast.
1: <laughs> See, that's what I was thinking. I was like, Do I want to go an hour or do I want to go five hours? <laughs>
2: wait, wait what, do you, what do you want to talk about this week? You know, or or this, or, or however you know, whatever the frequency of the podcast is. i I could uh, I I could go on a lot of Alice Cooper stories for a long, long time.
1: <laughs> we can uh, jump in now to uh, your uh, record label bellyache records like yeah how how did you actually get into uh that did you have any connections with bands and you're like um you wanted to start something or
2: or how'd that work (laughs) absolutely i've um there's you know there's backstories to the backstories and uh bellyache records was born out of a company that my friend michelle and i had started called the bellyache candy shop we were doing like online candy sales of like weird off brands candy and weird you know like candy brands and it, it actually that all started just because she had uh, emailed me pre-texting emailed me one day to say hey did your the record store you at? Do you guys sell candy and my response was no but we actually kind of been talking about doing like a candy section and because she sent me this link to the all Candy Expo, you know, that was in, in Chicago. She says, I want to go to this, but you can only go if you run a business. So, you know, we go to the bar, we're hanging out. We start chit-chatting about, like, well, maybe we don't need to go, if, you know, as the store I work at, why, why don't we come up with something, you know? So we had, we, you know, came up with this idea of what we wanted to do. You know, we, we, we eventually wanted to open a physical store, which did, it never materialized, but, you know we were doing we were doing pretty good with online sales and doing our, our type of like gift packages and things like that. So, we really wanted to push it forward. And we, since we both like had connections with like bands, and like the Detroit music scene was really thriving because it was kind of the early 2000s when you know the white stripes were really big here. And I've you know I've played in a band for a long time called the Grand Nationals, and we played in the same scenes and the same circles with all the bands at that time so and michelle was working for a promoter which eventually became live nation and at, at the time i think it was clear channel and she'd been with them even prior to that and so we just kind of like pooled together like well we know so and so from this band and that band so let's do a compilation album but instead of just grabbing a song from the record let's get the band to actually write and record something kind of candy themed and i'm saying that with air quotes because anything <laughs> that's candy themed is really innuendo f- for sex, and so we're like, let's get people to write songs about candy. If, if they actually write something about candy, that's great. But if they, you know, if, if it's a like a bubblegum type song or whatever, that's cool too. So we got all these popular bands to to do something for us, and we put on a big release show and had a bunch of the bands play, and it was it was really successful. The first CD was called The uh, Sweet Sounds of Detroit Volume One, and. From there on out, like we thought, well, let's just put, we, we just figured we'd put out compilations something that was always kind of candy, you know, themed to go along with what we were doing. And as time went on, you know, we kind of, like, the records, you know, started selling better than what we were doing with the candy. So then we kind of stopped doing the candy distribution, but then we got into actually making our own, like, band-themed candy bars. So as we were doing the candy bars, it became the regular thing. Let's put out a record, let's design to make a cool candy bar for this band, you know, great rapper and everything everything came together really well and then you know you keep going and the records keep getting better and more popular bands are coming to us and so we we're just putting out you know something left and right and then eventually when michigan had the uh they had a tax incentive for filmmakers and we had this great tax credit and all these like you know hollywood companies were coming here and building like small studios and shooting films here michelle went to go you know work in that that area and I kind of like just took over doing everything myself and sort of dissolved the candy end, but just kept going with records. So after putting out like 3540 records for Detroit bands, you know, I had approached, you know, Ryan Roxy about doing a single, but that sort of blossomed into doing an album. And then you know now we've done a couple albums and then it led to me working with tommy Hendrickson from the cooper band and some of the other artists that i work with like slasher dave and voyager 3 these guys all have really good internet presence and have fans around the world so you know that's like you know 69 releases later you know i'm still here and still still doing it right now things are in a, a weird state of limbo because of the, the everything that's going on right now it's you know, for a small label like, like mine, it's not the best time to be trying to cramp out albums. But, you know, I this whole thing just sort of started with two people with an idea about, you know, selling candy. And then I kept the name of the label. At one point, I even thought about changing it, you know, to something ridiculous like Empty Crypt Records or something like that. But I thought, you know, I kind of got a lot you know, of horror stuff and Halloween-related things. So I kind of thought, well, now nah, I will just keep rolling with this, this, the bellyache idea and everything. So it's been you know just been keeping it going but that's you know just knowing bands is or you know from that first compilation we've actually did a second compilation to to like a volume two that did pretty well but we also did a double cd called ghoul's delight that was a halloween themed double disc and you know all that all that stuff did really well we always had really successful release shows you know they're always really big it was like you know you know packed venues and you know, I couldn't be happier with how everything started out and how things, you know, you know, still are.
1: Yeah, that's awesome how that kind of weaved in or it started as one thing, like the candy, and then it went yeah. to the candy records, and now it's just all the way like records. So it's gotten yeah. like, even bigger than
2: straight up records. And the first yeah. few few releases were CDs. And then I remember the first seven inch we put out was for this garage band from Detroit called the Gorgor Girls. And Yeah, because people kept saying to me, you know, like, hey, you gonna put this out on vinyl? You know, we're talking like this is, you know, back in like you know, 2006, 2007, and you know, real vinyl explosion didn't really happen until about maybe, you know, it was kind of bubbling under for a while. But I would say 2010, 11, 12 is when you really saw it. You know, people getting, you know, really getting back into it, and. So like our first few releases that we did on vinyl, that was like really exciting for me because that's all I ever wanted to do. But I kept thinking, are people actually going to buy the records, (laughs) you know? And now it's like, if a band wants to do a CD, I'm like, I don't know if that's a good idea. You might want to put that on vinyl
1: instead. Are you talking about being related to Candy too? That's like one thing that kind of makes sense now because I think you're uh, on the back of one of Roxy's albums. It kind of has like a neat little logo that almost looks kind of like, like what is it like rat Fink inspired or something is that kind of from the candy like uh when you first started
2: that was actually that logo is probably about the third or fourth bellyache logo Oh, okay anyone that's familiar with uh some of the records i put out for slasher dave if the people that know slasher dave know that you know he loves halloween he loves like very like retro eighties type stuff. And at one point I came to him and said, Hey, I want to do a logo. That's kind of a gross slime type thing. Cause I love that stuff. And you know, so he did this logo where it was like, a. we have this one that It's, it's basically, it says it's the belly logo that you see in the back of the Roxy record, but it's sort of like this green slime logo. And you can tell that it's on the belly of a, with this purple beast. You can only see like, it's sort of like the stomach and it's oozing <laughs> in in the, I believe the hands and, and, and he made it. So it looked like it was on a candy bar wrapper. And it was one of my favorite things that I had. And he even like worked in a few little things, like in, in like hidden in the details. There's like Alice Cooper eyes. And I think he put like a six, six, six in there somewhere. And like all these little things that I was like, Oh, cool, man, this is great. You know? And I love the beast logo. It looks really cool. It might lend itself more to like a punk rock type sort of thing, but you know, belliac Records has never been about one particular genre of music either. It's always been about like whatever I like. <laughs> Sounds almost like a garbage pail kind of. Very much so, and I it's I love like, all that stuff. But yeah. image the imagery of like garbage pail kids and wacky package stickers and you know nostalgic things from when I was a, a young kid growing up in the late seventies and into the eighties and. Yeah, that was, that's definitely like, I know if I want something cool done like that, I go to Slasher Dave, because even aside from the, the music he makes, he does his own artwork. And so if I say, okay, man, this is what I want. And I don't even have to like, you know, micromanage his hands whatsoever. I know that whatever he delivers, I'm going to end up loving. And when he did that particular logo, I was very happy with that particular logo. But then we sort of moved into a, the logo that you see nowadays is kind of more of like a, late 70s early 80s like Stephen King (laughs) novel like something that was just kind of like basic and you know it's like sometimes like the most basic thing can be kind of creepy and I because I always wanted it to be a bit of a and I don't mean like a creepy like creeper in a, a windowless white van type of thing but you know what I mean like a like you know horror movies and you know Books and you know like old like horror pulp novels and things like that. Yeah, there's now certain... like the Stranger Things font kind of thing. Yeah, too. yeah, yeah. Things, yeah, like that. And my logo was done, bef- you know, in, before Stranger Things was a thing. You know, the guys, the people that made that show, have you know, really tapped into the '80s very well, and you know, could you know, it's it's kind of like in the in the the same frame of mind that like guys like Dave are in, or like you know, if I said, hey, you know, I really like this vibe. Like those guys that did Stranger Things, definitely, like we're you know of that same mindset, same you know cut from the same cloth, as they would say.
1: Yeah, because that's one thing I was going to ask is uh, if you have an art background and if you were the one that had kind of uh, done the artwork for the albums, but you're saying everything's like uh, basically comes from Slasher Dave. Is that you?
2: Well, well, some of the stuff, like a lot of the stuff that I did with, like, well, his records, and he did all the artwork for all the Voyager Three records that we've released. Um, but you know, um, I my my friend Annette did a lot of stuff, a lot of posters for me. Like she she always kind of knew what I what I would want to. Like if I wanted something to be kind of like, hey, I want this to be sort of you know this weird like this '80s vibe, but you know kind of cartoony. I know I could always go to Annette for that sort of thing. So I typically would leave it up to the bands for like what they wanted to do for art, but I would always talk to their artist to kind of like really help bring the uh, the vision to fruition because. You know, I, I'm not I, I, I'm not a talented artist, but I know graphic design and I know like what looks what, what I feel like will look good. And I kind of feel like everything we released we've released, like, I you know, has the artwork that spe- you know, speaks for that music and there's some bands that came along and said hey this is the art we're going with and i just look at it once and go, that's awesome it's perfect it's this is i know what i'm listening to i've, I've known plenty of like bands that have like would record a record and then they show me their artwork and like oh the font choices are you know atrocious and like the art doesn't match the style of the band you know because it's it's kind of like you know it's what marketing is. You want to make sure that this is going to speak to the person that, that is going to really enjoy the style of music. And I've had records from bands that I've liked that like, the artwork just didn't speak to me. And it kind of ruined the record for me, knowing the music was still pretty good, but I'm all about that. Making sure that that full package comes together and that that person that's holding that, that record, they throw it on their turntable and they're staring at the artwork that they're giving them something that, you know, is cohesive and that they'll they'll fully enjoy. And the stuff I've done with with Dave, with Voyager 3, really, that stuff really has come together well. And the stuff I've done with, like, like, with Ryan, like when we did the Imagine Your Reality record, you know, we always, Ryan and I come from the same school. Like, we like a good gimmick we were like, like, what, let's we gotta make this fun. Like, you know, what what made all those early Alice Cooper albums really cool was the was the the cool artwork. You know, the pop up school desk, the billion dollar babies, the wallet, the grease stained cardboard box. You know, from the from the inside, opening up like asylum doors. So he said, <laughs> he told me the record was going to be called Imagine Your Reality, and I said, okay. Well, and he wanted to do four different album covers, and I was like, well, that's gonna be rather pricey to do. But he he was kind of thinking about when, you know, when he played on the uh, album, The Eyes of Alice Cooper, and it's the same, they did four versions of the cover, they just changed the color of Alice's eyes for each one. And he said, I want to do something like that. And he had this idea with these four different images. And so I came up with the concept of I'm sitting there talking to him one day over the phone saying, Well, I got this idea, we'll do a die-cut window. And he goes, I don't even know what that is. <laughs> I go, hey, just trust me on this, man. Basically, you have a record cover and imagine it being a window frame, you know, with a board around it. And then what we'll do is you'll have your four different images on two different double-sided cards. So anyone that has a record can have one image facing out, but hey, if they want the one with the red background, they can turn it around and put that one facing out. So that way you can have your own Roxy reality. And, and he was like, there's this pause. And he's like, I think I know what you're saying. I think I, I got it. And then when I showed it, when he saw it, man, you know, that's like the payoff right there. It's like, holy shit, look what we did here. We got this cool record where you can, you have your choice of making four different album covers with this like you have it all in one package and you get a signed poster and you get a cd copy and a digital download code and one of four different colors of vinyl so we we made it so that way you know it, and it wasn't just to make it so hey let's get to these fans to buy all four versions it's like hey let's just have multiple versions out there makes this a fun thing to collect because that's what i would want any artists that i love if they have multiple versions of their record i can guarantee you I, i'd buy all of them <laughs>
1: Yeah, because that's something I was gonna uh, mention. Is you already uh, went that direction, but the Roxy one—that is one of the albums that I've bought. That I think that that whole a uh, package is awesome, and it's uh, thank you, thank you. And knowing, like, I had bought in like previous Bellyache before, so I know it's kind of like a small indie label. But that yeah. seems like something you would get from some major like record label, or even how we're talking about record store day. It seems like yeah. some kind of package you would get. I, that way so
2: yeah good job on that man thank you you know I always believe that I've always wanted to make sure that any record that I put the time and effort into that I gave the best representation for that artist and that we can make a top shelf record being an underground independent label you know I've seen major label releases that wow I just spent 25-30 bucks on this new record and then you, you get it home and you open it up and you pull it out and it's just a record in a white sleeve it's like what what, what a kick in the you know what a kick in the, the pants that is you're like oh oh great it's not much here you know and they don't they they don't go that extra mile giving you the printed inner sleeve with the lyrics on it like even in ryan's record it said let's do something even a little different i had i said would you would you write a little blurb about each song and i'll include that before the lyrics so that way it gives the you know the listener something like a little you know insight on what they're about to hear or, or the lyrics that they're reading. And we still managed to squeeze all that in there and you don't need a magnifying glass to read it. You know, it was like, it it came out really nice. I just felt like, you know, this is what I would want if I'm buying a record.
1: Yeah, like you just read my mind because I looked back <laughs> over that today and I liked uh, the little, yeah, it is like a little blurb. It's just a couple sentences about each song or where he recorded it or who he yeah. recorded it with. And yeah. it's like, yeah, that is something that I like... Uh, to read about and even uh, talking about like reissues of stuff on vinyl. Yeah. You would think like buying some like reissue, they would maybe have like a backstory little thing, insert or something. Sometimes Mm -hmm. you get something and they don't even have that. It's just the album and the
2: lyrics. and. Yeah. Once in a while, like an anniversary edition of an LP will come out and they'll, and they'll give you all that. They'll give you those, that information. You might get some notes written by the engineer or the producer or somebody and, you know, I buy a lot of film soundtracks, and there's and occasionally you'll get something, and they'll put like a nice like two-fold insert that talks with like the the composer and the, the the director, and they give you notes. I'm like, oh, when we did this, we wanted this vibe, it, it wasn't working out, so we went with this, and we couldn't, you know, been more happier. And you get all these recording notes, and I love reading all that stuff. You know, it's kind of like getting a mini box set with just the LP that you're listening to. And there's so many of these major labels won't put even the, the effort into it. In fact. It, some of these labels will just like reissue an album from a digital source without properly going through and having it mastered for vinyl and having it cut. So that way it comes out when, when you're playing it on a stereo where, you know, you when, when you can clearly hear the difference between a great original copy than then a bad reissue is, you know, and you, and you spend so much of you know, your hard earned money just to get that record. And it's, you're kind of left with a little bit of disappointment and, Major labels I've noticed are very, you know, so many of them do this, where they just, they half-ass it. And you can tell they're not listening to their test pressings because you hear, you know, hear flaws in the in the, in the cut of the record. Or they, you know, some occasionally, like, you know, we've had times where we've gotten our test pressings, and then all of a sudden there's a skip that I'll throw on. I usually have about five test pressings. I'll check another one, skip in the same spot. And it's usually caused by an issue with the plating. So if they have to go back and redo the plates or something like that, because I won't sell that to somebody, even though that there could be one little, you know, a little tick that might make it jump a half second. I I wouldn't want to buy that, but I've bought plenty of records that do that. And that's when I know, and I'll I'll return it and get another copy. Oh, it's got the same flaw in the same spot. That means that, oh, these guys didn't check their test pressing to see how it is, or they did and just didn't give a shit because they want to make sure that they get out there and meet the release date.
1: How do yeah. you do that? Is there like you said earlier, you have like distributors, but is there is there a certain like local uh, like plant like a pressing plant use, you go to or I, or I use a work? small
2: use a small plant on Detroit called Archer Record pressing. They've pressed all of my vinyl for me. They've done a fantastic job. I've never missed they've never missed a release date for me. The only time we did miss a release date was because we kept getting back bad test pressings where they were really noisy and that noise is plating issues. When they when they cut those lacquer discs, then they make a they make a a, a plate version of it. That plating is, you know, it's basically take the plate and it's like made out of molten nickel. And if there's impurities in there and it's in there, if it's in the plating, it causes noise that when they press the record, every record's gonna have that same crackle, the same spot, the same, you know, noise. And we we had one record that we did with Slasher Dave called Exorcisms. And that record, we went through like four different like cuts of it to the point where I had to find someone else not to press the record, but to cut new lacquers so they could get it right. Because the guys that were doing it just can't, weren't doing a good job on it. And it was like, I, I refused to sell it to anyone. And there's people that actually like the sound like the sound of a nice crackly record. Um, I'm not one of them. And I was like, I wouldn't sell this to somebody. And especially when you have music that's like, you know, eerie horror synth music that's, you know, it's quiet at points. I don't want to hear a lot, a bunch of crackling going on. I want intensity from the music. And we had to go back to the drawing board. Like, you know, like I said, like four times with that one, but eventually we got it. They got it right when it, and, and it was well worth it in the end. People that pre-ordered the record were getting a little, you know, hot under the collar. Cause like, oh, I paid for this record back in October and it's February. And it's, it's like, well, we want to give you the best thing possible. I don't want to sell you crap. So, you know, that was the result of making sure that I listened to all my test pressings and make, sh- make sure that everything sounds good, because I've had some records where everything sounds great, but there might be one track, that might get a little bit of surface noise going on, and that's when like I'll have to sit down with the artist and we really have to decide, because it can be costly to keep going back to the drawing board, and, you know, time is money, and you're sitting there, you're redoing this and making people wait, and, you know, we just want everyone to be happy with the end product and not, you know, send them something that they're going to, you know, be unhappy that they bought because there's been plenty of us that have bought records. Like if, you know, where you put that record on and it's a little noisy or the recording didn't come out as, you know, didn't lend itself to vinyl very well and you find yourself listening to the digital version instead. And that's completely, you know, like defeating the purpose of sitting and listening to a record.
1: Like how does the artwork like come together? Like do you also kind of outsource that too to some other company
2: that uh, uh, prints that. Oh, for like yeah, the other printing I've always used a company out of Florida called imprint and they've done a fantastic job. I have used um, a, a, one, one other uh, printer that uh, um, the, the synth player from Voyager three runs his own printing company and he's, he's done a couple of his, like his solo records. Um, he was able to print his own jackets. Um, but yeah, for the most part, I use the same, I was using the same company on all the, on all the jackets because they were re- reliable. I always know how it's going to look when it's done. I always know the timetable of how they're going to get the work done. And yeah, I'll, I'll source that I'll, that that to, to imprint. I'll get the records done through Archer. Um, Imprint will do like printed inner sleeves. If we don't do a printed inner sleeve, I will at least put. At one point in time, I switched over to a black inner sleeve with like a poly lining, just to give you know, just as long as the record's in something nice and not just another stark white, you know, inner sleeve. And then I might still try to stick a uh, insert in there or something if we're trying to keep the cost down on the particular record. You know, everything comes into play when you're making records for different bands like. What's their what's their event? What's their, their their draw for live shows? What's their online presence like? Are they going to be able to you know sell? I've had bands that can just they can sell a record online without playing a show, but I've had plenty of bands where I've had to you know we do release shows, and at one point in time I got tired of like hey we're pressing five hundred records and there's two hundred and fifty people packed in this this venue, and twenty people buy the record, and you're relying on those album sales to kind of you know recoup your costs and at one point so i was sitting there talking to one of the artists that i was doing this record with um a guy named ryan allen and we we decided like hey why don't we do this why don't we charge 10 bucks to get in give you know give everyone a voucher they get a copy of the record we make a little bit less off it but we don't lose money on it and that you know that way more people are leaving with the music and the money that comes back goes back to the label for paying down the cost of that record you know and pretty much every band i've adapted that you know that format with was much more happy about you know 300 people leaving with the record as opposed to them actually like getting paid that night because they're like well no we want people to have our music so just for one show one night you know this helps this this helps recoup the cost and that that method has worked out very well in, in moving along records for for bands that you know may not play a lot of shows after that or may not even go on tour.
1: Yeah, because it sounds like you do have a lot of costs involved in all that.
2: It, it, yeah, there's definitely, uh, you know, I I, I get de- demo submissions all the time from people and there's people that I've never heard of and I'll look into them and I'll look at their their social media and say, oh, you only have like 100 Facebook followers, you have 75 Instagram followers. I I yeah, you, The minimum amount of records you can press is 200. At least the, more, the minimum I can do in Detroit is 200, but then jackets my minimum is 300. So, you know, the less you press, the more this whole thing is going to cost in the end. And, you know, I've had bands that you know, sounded great, but if they're not going to be able to, you know, do the work to to promote the record to so we can help break even, I wouldn't be able to do this at all. I'd be in the hole. But 69 releases later, I figured I've been doing something right, working with the right people.
1: Um, is it more like for the Roxy one? Like, is it more to do multiple uh, colors, or is it just uh, all the same run
2: or a uh, five hundred copies? Uh, whether it it's, all, it all comes out yeah. of the same run. And lo- luckily enough, it's uh, you know you, you pay different set. You always have to pay a setup cost every time that you change the color of the vinyl. But if you do it all in the same run, it's it's more cost effective to do it that way. So when we did Imagine Your Reality, and there was red, white, blue, and black vinyl, and then Later, we went back and you know I had them press up some uh, additional copies on purple. Um, it was that, that was cheaper to do because the plating the plates were already made. Um, but yeah, it's it's more expensive to do colored vinyl, and every time they have to change the color of the vinyl for like in the press, you know there's a charge that comes along with that because they got to kind of clean up the presses and it's like a it's like another setup fee. So if you did 500 all one color, the price would actually be slightly lower because you wouldn't have to pay additional setup fees for every time they want to change that color out. Okay. So, you know, but, but, you know, black vinyl ultimately sounds the best. How come the black does play uh, better than colored? It's a different composite of vinyl. Like nothing in this day and age is made from true vinyl anymore. It's cause you know, it's, it's cheaper for them to do like, you know, the darker the color, it usually just comes out better. And that has, I'm not sure the, the true science of it, but I do know that like, there's a difference between like the colored vinyl, you know, I, I believe is oil based and the black vinyl is not. And it just, it has something about how the sound resonates. And um, I don't want to claim, I, I don't claim to be an expert on it, but I do know that like the difference of like you throw on something that's on clear vinyl or white vinyl And these brighter colors tend to sound a little more hot, and there tends to be more surface noise, a little more fuzz, and it doesn't sound as good. But when stuff's pressed on black vinyl, it sounds—you know—it typically sounds better. There's there's a lot of impurities in colored vinyl too, where I'll get I'll get people that will if I release something on multiple colors of vinyl, they'll go i only want the black one and i ask why don't you like the color every time I get colored vinyl i tend to find there's more skips or there's more issues with clicks and pops and things like that and i've i've picked up on that too you know from records that I've purchased or if I'm just checking out any of the records that I made I, I can I'll definitely hear the difference and the translucent colors of vinyl like if i do like a translucent purple or green or something those tend to come out pretty nice but if i do like a like an opaque the opaques tend to be a little bit noisier because it's a different composite of vinyl. Hmm. So that's something I, I've, I've asked. I've talked to the, the guys at the pressing plant a few times before. I feel like I've gotten the same answer each time, but and there's been times I feel like they flip-flopped. Like what you know, the difference between the two. Like you know, sometimes they're saying the same thing about black. Like I always thought that they used to say that the black was oil-based and the other one was was not oil-based. And then I hear him say it the other way around. And but then I've you know, I after doing research online, I was reading like the same type of thing. I just know that anytime I get something that's straight up clear vinyl, that tends to be some of the worst selling vinyl I've ever heard. Hmm.
1: Is Alice Cooper working at that plant then <laughs> kind of
2: telling <laughs> you different stories? Right, yeah. Yeah, like you know, telling me different uh you know, well, you know wives tables or fables or um, urban legends. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I typically usually work with primary colors just to kind of keep it easy for the guys at the plant. Anything to to turn those records up faster, the better. And that's the same reason why, like when I get the jackets, like you if you buy a record from me, chances are I assembled everything myself just so that way I can get everything quicker. You know, I, I, I never have records shrink wrapped because people, a lot of people will just tear the shrink off and throw it away. That's a that's a wasted cost. I, I always put them in a, in a, a decent enough, you know, like poly bag, so that way, hey, you have something to protect your record if you want to leave that on there. And it's surprisingly slightly cheaper than shrink wrap.
1: That was even something I was going to ask too. Like, are you like reading my notes or something? Because I was going to ask if your <laughs> if your stuff was actually hand assembled because you've got oh, yeah. all the stuff coming from different locations. And then I noticed going back over that, uh, like I listened to it today. Uh, the purple skull one for Roxy, like the translucent yeah. purple, uh, there's yeah. a sticker on the front and it said out of 77 and it looked um, handwritten because I got 50 something. Oh, yeah.
2: yeah. And so that's and when that's, I started
1: wondering if you like hand inserted all the uh,
2: records into the sleeves and everything I used to have, like we used to do these stuffing parties where like we put out a record and I'd have a band come over to like to my place and, we'd all just sit around and we'd throw some music on and, there would be beverages and some food or whatever. And we would just sit there and assemble assemble the records, get them all done. And then every now and then you get someone that grumbles, oh, why do I have to do this? I thought, why well, would we run a label? But it was just something that I invite people over to do to kind of get the job done. But then I was getting people like e- emailing, hey, there wasn't a download code in my record. Or or as I'm pulling a record off to ship this to somebody, I'm seeing like a hype sticker stuck on the wrong side of the record or upside down because they weren't paying attention. And I'm thinking, well... You know, yeah, you want to get something done right. That's you know, do it yourself. So I, yeah, pretty much the probably the last twenty five releases or so I've assembled on my own, or occasionally you know, like if I'm doing a Voyager three record, Steve's always great for like, yeah, I want to come over and help out and do it, and uh, he's he's meticulous enough where I know I can trust him to make sure there's a code in every record or the right color is in the in the jacket or there's a sticker put on it. You know, there's nothing missing because. Like you've got the Roxy record, but then these Voyager 3 records and these Slasher Dave records I've done, like the we would always do like a limited amount, like the like Slasher Dave, we did like we put uh put out Halloween masks in like in the first pressings. And same with the new Voyager 3 record, we did a we, we wanted to do a mask because the album's called War Mask. And we took it a step further. And we've done 3D glasses in their albums before with like a 3D print. And this time we actually did a three D print, and we did the mask, but we put three D lenses on the mask.
1: Oh, that's awesome! <laughs> it's
2: super dope, and that that's one thing I like. I I I love it when I get like I like so will get a notification I got tagged on something from Instagram and someone just got their records and hey there's their kid wearing the mask or or here's some adult wearing the mask and like that's exactly what I wanted to see because yeah you put it on you look at the artwork and it looks really cool but then you know hey it's just it's just something fun that you get inside the record you know we're always trying to think of something that we can do that's going to be cost effective that will fit in a record and you know there's a finite amount of things that you can do Without having to go into some sort of bigger production that's going to cost a lot of money and, you know, it might not end up being worth it in the end. But getting all those, you know, doing those extra things, you know, and w- with me being the one assembling everything, I can only hold, my, hold myself accountable in case someone goes, hey, I, I got my record and it's missing the insert, it's missing this or that. That rarely happens because I have a, a fairly large table that i sit at with stacks of everything and it's just like like i'm just the machine going at it and getting it all done
1: i can't think of it's, the it, word but it's more like <laughs> made with love i guess you know like yeah, you know you you're know, actually it, getting something quality
2: but uh, yeah and you know and, I, and, and that's the thing is i never sit down and go oh god i gotta sit here and assemble all these I, I love it you know it's like this is this is the cool part where you know putting it all together and then you know, when, when the day comes where like especially when we do a pre-order on something where it's like if, if the the official release date pops up and you know everyone's stuff is gonna get shipped out on that release date, it's like there's nothing more rewarding after I have like the stacks and stacks of like the mailers sitting there with like with like 300 records ready to go out to fans and thinking that, wow, I just assembled all this stuff, packed all this stuff. You know, I always make sure to write thank you on the packing slip, whether or not people see or not, because I just feel like that's just a karmatic thing because I I do appreciate it. You know, I want people to know that there is a person here doing this. And it's not like, you know, some got someone in a warehouse know, pulling it off of a shelf or whatever. It's like I I appreciate that because, you know, someone spends their money. You know, they spent their money on something that I, I took my time to put together. And it just it's it's one of those things. I mean, there's, there's self fulfillment, but I'm just, I'm hoping that people do, you know, I don't sit there and go, Oh, I hope people really realize what they're getting here or anything with like an attitude. It's like, you know, I want people to know like, yeah, you know, it's sometimes it takes a lot of hands to get something put together like that. But this, you know, if you're buying a record from me, from my label, you're getting like my stamp all over it. Hmm. Probably some DNA occasionally. (laughs) hopefully not now
1: i mean now oh, yeah, when i can't watch well,
2: out I, now <laughs> oh for the last like month and a half or last month or so i've you know i i pack everything you know with with my with my rubber gloves on you know i'm par. you know i would i would never want you know i'd be i, I would know how to react if someone said oh, i got this record for and man i got sick or something man
1: somebody I mean, sneezed I know the, like, on this <laughs>
2: Right, right. Yeah, yeah. That, that does not happen here. It's kind of like back when the days when, when, when Michelle was with the company and we were making the candy bars, you know, there we were, you know, I'm a guy with cropped hair, but I have a, you know, I've got, I've got, I'm wearing something over my, my head just to make sure that, you know, someone doesn't get a follicle of my hair in their candy bar. And, you know, we got the gloves on and, you know, we're in a sterile environment. You know, I always want to make sure that that's, people are getting you know i i sometimes when you get a record and you see fingerprints on it and it's under the cellophane like i know that the people in most larger plants have gloves on but occasionally things slide through and you'll even pull the record out and see that someone's fingerprints are on it and it shouldn't be that way ever hmm, i don't know if i've ever noticed that you can t- you can see it on black vinyl occasionally but like i was saying most of the plants, like I know, they, they usually have gloves on, and a lot of the people want to wear gloves anyway because when you're touching, when you're touching a record, and you're touching cardboard, your hands get dried out. So it's, it, you know, it. I'll, I'll wear like they have those little like um, they're like little like they're, they're basically like little rubbers that you put on your fingers, you know, so you can put them on a couple fingers for whichever ones you're using the most instead of having to wear a full glove that makes it a little bit restrictive. But I always make sure that I have something on when I'm assembling, just because you know you avoid paper cuts you know i've had this because there were times i didn't wear them and i would and i'd find myself throwing away record jackets because i'm looking i'm like oh shit that's got my blood on it <laughs> you know mm-hmm. you like, you'd get a small you get a small paper cut you know or something like a hangnail or whatever and it's like yeah now that i went to i went to straight up gloves after you know I saw something like that happen and thought "Yeah, no one should ever get something in the mail. That's got something like that on it, unless they're into that sort of thing. <laughs> like kiss comic book with their blood in it. <laughs> here, here you guys go. Here, here, here's your record from this band with, with the owner's blood on it. Uh, maybe they just thought it was part of the
1: promotion or something. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I even noticed something else you did with Roxy too. Cause, uh, it was something with the uh Ameriswede where you had a package uh, that had like the cassette, a beach ball, a tote bag, and I yeah. think there was like a visor in there. I was like, That's pretty yeah. cool That's pretty that cool. Was, like a
2: beach party thing. when we did the um when I did the Amerisuede E P with Ryan, that that was originally supposed to be just a seven inch single. Like when I, I when Ryan was back in the Cooper band after, you know, being out for a few years, I approached him at a show in, in Sylvania, Ohio. And, you know, I said, hey, you know, I run this, you know, I run this label and everything, and I've done all Detroit stuff, but, you know, I've always been a big fan of your music, would you like to do a single, you know, get something laying around you, you'd like to, like an acoustic song or something, you know, that we could re- release. And then I was going to three shows in a row, and each night it progressed more and more. And then we really started talking, and it, it evolved into, and, you know, he had six songs ready to go, and he had two different mixes of each, of each song. So it turned into an LP, and after we put the, the record out, it was when they, they went out on tour, it was right when uh, we released the record, right when Cooper went on tour with Motley Crue. So that summer, we were selling all these Ameri Sweetie at all these uh, Motley Crue and Alice Cooper shows because they're you know playing at Arenas every night. And then the following year, when they went on the, they, they did the tour again, they were like, oh, we're going to be the opening act again this year on the tour. I was thinking, well... Are we going to keep selling the same record? How about, I, I got an idea. And since it was a summer tour, we did the Roxy 77 Summer Survival Kit. And, you know, I had uh, had my friend Annette, you know, come up with a number of different logos that would lend themselves to whatever it was going on. So it was a beach ball. I wanted it to look like, you know, very summery things. The visor, I wanted it to look kind of like a sort of a resort type logo you know and yeah, something uh,
1: looked like the partridge family kind of thing to me
2: I think. that was we we did the partridge family because ryan is a huge fan of the of the partridge family show as as if i am too and like the partridge family the show the records love all that like early 70s am radio bubblegum type stuff and he had always told me that he always wanted to do a roxy 77 logo he did one in the willy wonka style which he was a big fan of And he said, I always wanted to do the Partridge family. He always told me that. So I always like surprising people. When I sent him the the tote, which is supposed to be for beach towels, I said, here's your logo for it. And he saw it, and he's like, it was like one of his dreams come true. (laughs) Like, there it was, the the Roxy 77 logo, you know, done in the Partridge family style. And that was another thing where I had Annette, like I said, hey, you know, I don't want you to just find the font, study the logo and recreate it though because sometimes you find fonts and they're not always exact like you download the iron maiden font or the deaf leopard font there's always some weirdness to it that doesn't look like even if you type off the band's name it still doesn't look right so i know that there was a partridge family font but I, I told the nice i want you to recreate this because she's that good like make it that so we did we did that those kits and we did 77 kits and you know I did a little bit of overrun. I got a couple left, and uh, but that was fun. And I, I think that was one of those things where I think other people and maybe in the band kind of like looked at it and didn't laugh at what we were doing, but they just felt like, is there no end to like what you guys would, you know, consider selling to people? You know, there was a <laughs> there was a bottle opener in there, and there was a there's what else did we have in that thing? Yeah, we we had a mirror suite on cassette. And I I did the the design for the cassette, so it looked like a Columbia Records cassette from the 80s. And even right down to the the logo for the Bellyache logo on there, I didn't use one of my standard logos. I used what was essentially the Pac-Man font. So that way, it looked like an 80s video game logo. And that that turned out really cool you know and i i I was studying everything you know about like you know looking at all my old tapes that i have that were on epic records and columbia records they all had the same look to them and i figured out which fonts they used for everything and we made that and that was another one too like when when i did tommy hendrickson's starstruck album we did a limited run on cassette and i made it look like a warner brothers cassette from the 80s a van Halen tape you know, like that sort of thing. And I found, got figured out the exact font and like how big they always made it, you know, based on the size of the artist's name. And I showed those to Tommy. I remember he was just like, dude, this this is incredible. You know, it looks like something (laughs) that was in, in my bedroom in the 80s, you know, but it's your album, you know. So they have a, taking it back to that summer survival kit i just felt like that was that made everything right you know it's like oh you got you got all the right things oh there, there was a frisbee and they actually the summer survival kit now that i think about it it came it was born out of the idea that ryan wanted to do um professional sports grade uh frisbees and we looked into it and they were so freaking expensive to do and then to then to screen a logo on top of it i would love it you know to have made like legit whammo frisbees or something like that but it was too much so we kind of had to go with a little cheaper version it wasn't exactly what we really wanted but to entice people i came up with the ideas for all the additional things that came with it so and when, when we announced that i remember people were like like his fans were really into it and I, I see people flipping the cassettes for, you know, like the, 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 kit, the original price was around $30 and I see people flipping the cassettes for like 20, $25. So, you know, it was the only way you could get the tape was if you bought that survival kit,
1: man, that is so awesome. How like detail, like <laughs> driven you are with that stuff. That, that blows my mind. It's cool. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a collector yeah. and
2: I, and I, I, like I said, I, I want to sell things that I would like to buy. So if any one of my favorite bands came out with something like that, I w- I would be so about that. Like I remember when Alice Cooper put out the second Welcome to My Nightmare album in was it 2011? In the UK, they had a collector's magazine, and they hadn't seen something like this for Alice in years. Where there was like a, pro- a big promotional thing behind it, and they had this magazine that you could get, and it had a like, a, like a, an enamel schools out pin. There was a little makeup kit that came with it to do your Cooper makeup. And uh, it was just, it was really cool that like, Oh yeah, I love, I love things like that. And I, and I wish I had like the financial resources to do more things like that for every release, because it's, you know, again, I, it all comes down to that. I just, I love good gimmicks. Whenever I see someone offering something fun in a record, it's kind of like, yeah, you know, that's a great idea whether I, I dig the music or not. I, you know, there's been times that, you know, if I'm buying, like I said, I'm buying a record from a band that I like, I want the version, you know, or buy, if I don't buy all the versions, I want at least the one that's the most fun.
1: Yeah. Cause, um, speaking of like all the Alice Cooper gimmicks and stuff, I'm like too young for those, uh, albums in the seventies. Uh, Cause I wasn't born until 84, but it's awesome how like I bought those reissues and they do, they like, like have like, uh, created it exactly the way it was like the, the uh, from the way. inside um you know yeah. with the little window that pops open mm-hmm.
2: yeah even the, the, the back. back yeah you get you get the door on the inside you get the back doors you the front the front cover opens up you know like like doors that was really cool packaging and billion dollar babies with the wallet where it had the perforated pictures of the band so that we could take them out like photos and it came with a giant billion dollar bill and the original copies of that record were had like you know, the baby's face and the embossed uh, diamonds, you know, were, were raised. So it was, you know, it was really cool. You know, like the school's out desk where you can prop up the the bottom, like, like desk legs and open it up. And inside there's like pictures of like, you know, bubble gum and, you know, a, a quiz and, you know, other, other, you know, goofy stuff. That's what like, the record came wrapped in, you know, a pair, a pair of paper panties.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Oh yeah, because I read that those are like flammable or something.
2: Yeah, well, that's what what they were saying. I always kind of felt like there's certain things that over the years I kind of like attributed to like to increase the hype machine. They might someone may have said that they were flammable to pull them from the market, but I think that I mean it's paper. The jacket's paper too. The jacket's just as flammable as the the paper panties. Yeah. So I think that that was something that they may have like created to. Sort of like get people going. Oh my gosh! We're gonna pull these from the uh, from the market and and create some more hype. Yeah, that kind of
1: sounds like the thing with like the whole chicken thing. Like, didn't uh, they yeah. said, like don't tell them it didn't happen. Just just uh, don't deny it, but don't uh, tell the truth either.
2: One thing that Alice has he's always said, and I, and I don't know, I think this quote may have came from somewhere else to begin with, but one thing I've always I've heard him say a number of times to my face is don't ever let the facts get in the way of a good story. <laughs> and I've heard that one. And I've had, I, there was one conversation I did have with Alice once where we were, I had just read Dennis Dunaway's book. And I, I mentioned to Alice, Hey, I just finished Dennis's book. And he folds his arms. He goes, yeah. And? and I go, yeah, you know, I really like how there's some things that, you know, you get, you, you get into the next chapter and you, you think, what, wait a minute. I just read this. And, you know, Alice always told it like this and you know and, and i know that like that's always been like a thing with him is like you know you're making a more colorful version of the story even dennis says oh alice says it like this but what version sounds better of course you like the fun version more and that was the thing I, you know when al said well you know he, he was about to launch into this thing about you know you know again never let the facts get in the way of a good story and I, but i cut him off and said but that's what made me love the character of alice even more like i know that thought these stories were fabricated but it makes me like it more i don't feel gypped or lied to it at all it just makes me laugh and go that's like have a crazy uncle that tells you some story then you find out years later none of it's true and you, and you have a good laugh over it instead of getting mad and when i told that to alice he was like you get it and he was he was like that's he goes that's exactly like and we want to keep these stories going throughout the years and i love that i thought it was great it's like. You know, again, I don't feel, you know, like I was lied to. Some people I know legitimately were like pissed off, like, oh, he's just been lying all these years. And it's like, yeah, but, but what, what version of the story do you find more fun? You know, that's the thing. When years, you know, now when when there's when, when Alice is gone and if there's any of us still left, we'll be telling these stories and laughing about it. About how he, you know, for 40 years told everyone he threw a chicken out into the crowd because he thought it could fly. <laughs> when we know that wasn't really the truth (laughs) you know there's always going to be a source of influence as well as you know my own creativity i guess but it's all influenced by things that have come before and those cooper records were definitely when, when ryan said he wanted to do something like one of the classic alice records i was so happy that i was able to pull something off and it didn't break the bank so you know, I felt really good about that. And, you know, eventually when we go to do another pressing of Imagine Your Reality, um, as the stock dwindles, you know, is dwindling down again, we, we're probably going to go for a standard version of that record. So that way, you know, you're just getting like the jacket, like a regular album jacket and those versions that are out there with like the, with the multiple inserts to, you know, for the different covers, you know, then there'll be like the super collectible version at some point in time.
1: And then it'll be like that, uh, like me. I'll be like that guy, that Fry. Like, shut up and take my money.
2: <laughs> right, right, exactly. That's one of the greatest memes ever. I love that meme. I I used to use that so much. And when when a lot of like cool like like horror and sci-fi soundtracks were getting reissued, I was seeing that meme all the time. People were beating me to the punch because I'm like, yep, I'm ready. You know, I want this. I I want this, especially with all the the flash that comes along with it. I think it's
1: great. It's kind of like, yeah, because he's the only guy too that I know that was doing those, uh, what were they, rock and roll parking lots because that's kind yeah. of how I was introduced to him was through yeah. that. Yeah. I just kind of you, stumbled you know. onto it by accident. I'm like, hey, wait, that's Ryan over at that table over there. Yeah. And then, yeah, uh, sure enough, yeah. it was him.
2: Yeah, and then you find, and, and he, I know for a long time he tried a number of different platforms to, um, to, uh sort of like uh you know like 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 what was like the, what was the one oh, abandoned about abandoned town like you know people they'd have people sign up for it you know that way he knew if there was gonna be people there and if they wanted to come buy merch directly from him you know he knew what to bring out there and you know, he tried a few, a few different things and eventually after everyone just sort of like was you know all on instagram and all on facebook you just you know say hey the meet and greet's gonna be at this, you know, at the, at the merch, you know, on this side of the, the venue at this point, you know, at this time, you know, prior to the show or after the show. And I'd been with them many times that like, you know, I'd be there early and we'd get out there and make sure we get out everyone that 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 sort of like signed up to buy merchandise and always have a few extra things available to them because that all venues, you know, make it easy for you to sell like the band's merchandise at the at the at the merch stand without taking like a, you know, a 30 percent cut. So, you know, at some point in time, I think they had worked it out where they could sell their merchandise at the at the band merch. Right? But you know, it, Ryan always preferred to come out and you know meet everybody and take pictures with everyone until he had to absolutely go back there and get ready for the show.
1: Yeah, because that was the first time I uh, came across that was the um, it
2: was the Motley Crue tour. I, I thought it was a great way to go out there and just you know market themselves and now look at every one of that band has something else going on and all these fans that got into it you know because they, they like this band are now into what each artist which each member has you know whatever whether it's beasto or whatever it's nita doing her thing or if it's tommy and the hollywood vampires now glenn's in the hollywood vampires so ryan's got his career so everyone's got their own thing out there now so and they've managed to sort of like pick up all the fans you know it's it's funny how i see everyone likes everything that everyone in the band is doing
1: yeah, I'm the so, same way. I mean, it's cool how they've kind of, yeah, kind of cultivated their own kind of family, but everybody's uh seems like you're all part of it too. It's yeah. It's cool. It's and not ev- like any other fandom with another band that I've seen.
2: Right. And everyone in that band does like has a has their own style and their own vision of how they do things and but yet they still work great as a band for Alice. And and it's cool that, you know, you're not if you, you know if you're, if you're into ryan's stuff and then you know and tommy's stuff might come you know close to being is the most similar and as a sort of straight up rock and roll you know as opposed to like with, with what nita does with the instrumental you know guitar stuff and and Bisto, you know having the, like that you know that sound you know that, that they have it's not all the same so it's you know it's it's pretty cool how all that that comes together and you know I would love to have been the guy to be putting rough records for all of them, <laughs> <laughs> but they, but they're all appropriately in the right place where they need to be.
1: Yeah. Yeah, man. Well, I don't, I don't want to keep it too long tonight. Cause I know we said, <laughs> Oh, we can go an hour or five hours, but I don't want to.
2: Yeah.
1: Wanna... yeah. <laughs> I don't Get, keep like, it all know, night too. You
2: just keep going. You just keep it going and, and then you can rename your podcast Tangents and <laughs> Yeah, because that's always that's always the worst part is when you you get on something and, and and prior to the interview we were talking you know like that about backstories the, the backstories to the backstory and uh, I can tell you a lot with with like with the record label there's you know if I I, I could I could give you a real in depth you know story on how how things started and with with each record and then you know by the time you get to the fortieth release you're like okay you know they got to go to bed at some point. <laughs> <laughs> I still need to eat. <laughs> hey,
1: everybody's in uh, self isolation. So, what else do they have to do? I right,
2: I've I've listened to more podcasts in the past five five weeks than I've you know, and, and the ones I've signed up for, and you know, I pay from you know my through through Apple Music and all that, and the Apple Podcasts, and I I I I actually got kind of bummed out when I was. Like, oh my God, I listen to everything. Well, I need to find more to listen to because I have, you know, I've got, you know, I've got, you know, thousands of records and I have, you know, I've got so much music in different formats and I'll play stuff. But, you know, sometimes I just, you know, I want to hear the stories behind everything. And, you know, sometimes you get a little bit of it and sometimes it just ends up being talking about Alice Cooper for an hour. You
1: know? <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, thank you for sharing all the stories about your. Uh, record label, even Alice Cooper stories. It's been awesome, man.
2: Yeah, thanks, man. I, I appreciate it. You know. And then next, then when you want to start the Star Wars podcast, let me know because I can get on that too.
1: <laughs> oh, I've even got something I could probably dig out. I think it's like the MOGA synthesizer uh, version of the Star Wars soundtrack. I found that in my parents' oh, yeah. basement. <laughs>
2: yeah, that's the one that's got a real basic cover where it just says Star Wars and like the most boring font yeah <laughs> like it's like it did it's like clearly they didn't have an art department or an art director and or license the probably the proper licensing to use a logo even at that time because 1977 like one one thing that me and my, like my best friend have gone back in in time like we like looking at all the the stuff from when the first star wars movie came out that the licensing was running wild like they couldn't they weren't expecting what happened. So you're getting all kinds of people like doing their version of the Star Wars theme or doing some sort of space themed record and it, it would sort of resemble Star Wars and they couldn't, you know, they didn't have like their like their legal teams together yet to you know do cease and desist and there's so much bogus Star Wars stuff that came out in 77 now that stuff has become just as fun to collect and check out as it is finding all the vintage like actual licensed merchandise. But yeah, that record, I found a, I, a sealed eight-track tape of that once and gave that to my buddy. <laughs> I'll have to review that on the next A-Sides,
1: I guess. Yeah, definitely.
2: <laughs> definitely. That was that, I, that one was pretty good, but I felt like whoever had put that out was trying to ape. There was a record from an artist named Miko, and Miko used to do like disco versions of popular movie music, and... He did he was really well known for his album Star Wars. It was it's called uh Star Wars and Other Galactic Funk. And it has like some space people dancing, stuff that, you know, they can't use Star Wars imagery. But he did this really like the whole first side is all music from the original Star Wars film. And it's all done with like yeah, you know, it's all very disco-y, and it's it's one continuous track from beginning to end. And there were a few people that Aped his version for their versions. <laughs>
1: man, the 70s were crazy, I guess.
2: On that note, then.
1: Oh, uh, yeah, man, that's a good note to sign off on.
2: Yeah. So, all right, buddy. Well, definitely, uh, obviously, we'll be in touch. So, you know, looking forward to hearing how it, how it turns out. And, uh, you know, anything that you ever need that you ever want to ask, just hit me up.
1: Oh, I definitely will. <laughs> okay. <laughs> cool, man. Thanks, man. Uh, have All a good right, night. Well. Yeah, take it easy, Andy. Thanks, everyone, for coming back for episode 22 of A-Sides. Big thanks to Scotty Hagen for calling in tonight and chatting with me about Bellyache Records. So stay healthy, wash your hands, spin some records, and Brent and I will be back next week recapping the entire month of April.
0: Where do we go? Nobody knows. I gotta say, I'm on my way down. Yeah. God gave me style, He gave me grace. God put a smile on my face. Oh yeah.